Driven by the trend toward emphasizing value over volume in healthcare, performance measurement has expanded dramatically in recent years. The National Quality Measures Clearinghouse now lists more than 2,500 performance measures, and some physicians have started to push back, arguing that current measures are not meaningful. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Catherine McLean, Chief Value Medical Officer at the Hospital for Special Surgery and a member of the American College of Physicians Performance Measurement Committee. Dr. McLean has co-authored a perspective article about the validity of performance measures. Dr. McLean, you write in your article that U.S. physician practices spend billions of dollars each year reporting on hundreds of performance measures. So can you tell us a bit about the history of performance measurement and how we got to where we are today? Sure. We have a pretty long history of performance measurement in the U.S., and I think even going outside the U.S., maybe we can track performance measurement all the way back to Florence Nightingale and her efforts to rein in infections in the Crimean War. But I think in the U.S., I think we can really trace our roots to performance measurements all the way back to the early 1900s and the work that Ernest Codman did in Boston with regard to understanding performance measurements in the hospitals. And the work that he did eventually led to starting the American College of Surgeons, which eventually evolved into starting what's now the Joint Commission. And I think that was really important work. I would say that in the U.S. over the last, say, 20 to 30 years, we've really seen a push forward in performance measurement And a lot of that was, frankly, driven by employers. And as a result of the interest of employers to understand whether all this money that they're spending to pay for health care and health insurance, whether they were getting, you know, value out of that money, that really led to the establishment of the National Committee for Quality Assurance in the early 1990s. And at that time, performance measurement was really focused on preventative services, and a few types of services that there's really, I think, no argument among clinicians whether things were important or not. So things like cancer screening and certain types of measures looking at whether patients are treated, for example, with aspirin if they've had a heart attack. And so I think that there was a lot of enthusiasm early on. And part of that was driven by the fact that the measures that were being assessed really There was a good deal of evidence to support them, and clinicians agreed that it was a good idea um, to measure these sorts of things. And in fact, there are data to show that higher performance on those measures results in better outcomes. So I think after that experience, we're kind of off to the races with performance measurement and developing a whole variety of performance measurements. I think the quality measurement industry has gotten a little bit ahead of itself. And while there is rightfully enthusiasm for performance measurement, and I think consumers and payers and clinicians would all agree that we should have performance measurement, we need to take a step back and look at some of the performance measures that are now available. And that's really what kind of led to the work of the ACP committee. We were, as part of that committee, reviewing a lot of measures that were out for public comment. We receive input from members from across the country, and there was a growing unease with a number of the measures that are currently available, which led us to the work that we did to kind of, in a more objective, structured way, assess the validity of a number of the measures that are out there. So, in fact, your committee developed criteria to assess the validity of these measures for ambulatory general internal medicine. How did your criteria differ from those used by other organizations? 
I think that the criteria that we developed aren't vastly different than the criteria developed by other agencies. I think that there was certainly more of an emphasis for this set of criteria to think about how a measure would apply to an individual physician. That's what we were assessing, measures for individual physicians. And that's different in important ways than thinking about measures that are applicable to, say, a population, the types of measures, for example, that a health plan might be responsible for through the HEDIS measure program, for example, or the types of measures that are applicable to a hospital. When you get down to the individual physician level, there are important nuances to those measures that need to be taken into account. And I think that that's probably the area where the criteria differed a little bit. But I would say, more broadly speaking, the criteria that we developed are very much in line with the criteria that already exists for, say, National Quality Forum. The committee found that only 33 of the 87 relevant measures included in Medicare's quality payment program qualified, in your view, as valid. Was that surprising to you? I think it wasn't surprising to our committee because we had been working on this for a number of years and we had been reviewing measures that were out for public comment. So whenever NQF has a measure that it's considering for endorsement or whenever CMS has a measure that it's considering to add to its group of measures, they will send those measures out for public comment. And part of the work we had done in that committee, we had been reviewing measures that had been out for public comment for a number of years. And I think that that work really led us to develop the project in that we had seen so many of the measures coming through that the committee didn't think were valid. So that really kind of inspired us to take a step back and say, okay, why do we think these measures are not valid? Let's lay out in very specific terms set of quality criteria or set of criteria to determine the validity of the measures. And then let's step back and measure a group of a set of measures in a systematic way so that we can kind of really understand this. So I would say based on the work that we have been doing, we anticipated that many of the measures that we would review would come out as not valid. But I would say I was a little bit surprised that the validity rate was as low as it was. When you determine that something is not valid or is of uncertain validity, should all those measures be abandoned or would you imagine that some could still be useful? That's a great question. And I think that some of those measures should be abandoned, but I think that others of the measures should simply be revised. And so I think there's an important difference between clinical practice guidelines and performance measures. So performance measures define the structures, processes, or outcomes that should always occur for a defined population, whereas clinical practice guidelines generally describe processes and often a variety of different processes that should be considered in certain clinical situations. And so with regard to a number of the measures that the committee rated as not valid, a number of those measures are fine clinical practice guidelines but they don't have sufficient evidence to require that the process be mandated for every single patient. So one of the examples we cite in the paper is screening for elder abuse. And nobody would argue that screening for elder abuse is a bad idea. And it's very important in certain patients. But to require it for every single patient over the age of 65 is overkill. And in fact, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force evaluated this particular recommendation and found that there wasn't sufficient evidence um, to require this in, in all situations. So 
So I think that's a measure that should be retired. It's a good guideline, but not a good quality measure. On the flip side, there are a number of measures that we rated as not valid that are very important clinical concepts, but they weren't specified with a high enough level of detail such that the measure could inadvertently misclassify some care as being low quality because the measure included some patients in it that they should have excluded. And so one of the examples we cite is a a measure that requires attainment of a blood pressure of 140 over 90 in all patients. And we know from the evidence that that's not a good practice in certain populations, so elderly patients, for example. And so that measure, I think, could be revised to include the appropriate exclusion criteria and could be quite a good measure. So I think that just about all of the measures that we looked at are based on meaningful clinical concepts. The problems arose by taking some good ideas for practice guidelines, things you should consider, and the reason that they're guidelines is because they're things we consider, and maybe there's not enough evidence to mandate this process in every single patient. And then additionally, looking at the specifications, I think that there's absolutely room to improve a number of the measures that we rated as not valid. So finally, how can we get from where we are today to a system that's built around more meaningful performance measures and is less burdensome for physician practices? I think we're at an interesting point in our healthcare system in that most facilities and clinicians have adopted electronic health records. And I think that there's a huge opportunity at this time to really start to incorporate performance measurement into care delivery. That probably sounds easier than it actually is. There are lots of different electronic health records. Many of them are not standardized. And even within individual electronic health systems, the vendor is really putting forward a product that the end user can change up for their own purposes. And as a result, there ends up being a lot of work involved in, for example, building out a quality measure within the electronic health system and every single hospital or provider that wants to put that measure into their electronic health system has to do kind of a custom build. And so I think that one big step forward would be to gain some um, traction among electronic health record vendors to develop some standards with regard to collecting data elements relevant to performance measurement in a standard way. Really where we want to get to is to define a set of meaningful performance measures and to bake them into care delivery so that there are lots of warnings, flags, prompts, so that the right care always gets delivered in the first place, right? So I think that if we could get to a point where we define the important outcomes and the important processes that we need to get to those outcomes and bake those into our care delivery system, wouldn't it be great if all care delivered was the highest quality care Um, And kind of taking a big step back, the reason we even measure quality, really the only reason to measure quality is to improve health. And we accomplish that in several ways. We can accomplish that by improving the quality of the care that we deliver. So that requires that there be a feedback to the clinicians who are delivering the care, and that should be real time. Another way that we can improve the health through quality measurement is by 
being transparent. And we should be very transparent with the quality of care that's delivered in our health system so that consumers can make choices with regard to the providers that they select. And then lastly, and another important reason to measure quality is for policymakers so that they can look and see why is the quality not high in certain populations in certain areas. So is there something that I as a policymaker you know, can do about that? And I can give an example. I previously worked at a large health insurance company and we were doing some work to try to improve quality around cancer screening, specifically breast cancer screening. And there was a geographic area that seemed to have much lower rates As it turned out, there weren't very many providers in the area who could provide mammograms. And so from a policy standpoint, we were able to kind of change up the network and increase the number of mammography providers. So that's just one example. So anyways, I think that if we step back and think about why is it that we're measuring quality in the first place, I think we can set up our measurement in such a way that we can facilitate quality improvement, health improvement at the levels of the care delivery system. Thank you, Dr. McLean. 